I'm a hustler. Actor creative Carlos Mendoza showcases and talks to a variety of dope and tenacious artists. Let's get it in. Let's get after it. Welcome to Tenacious Talk with Carlos Mendoza. All right, here we go. Our guest today is a Renaissance man. He is a veteran performer, producer, and recording artist. He's also an actor, influencer, producer of the podcast Pivotal Moments, author of the new hip-hop book Milk Crate Monologues. He's currently working on a YouTube instructional beatbox series and now out with his new single, Star, from his upcoming album, Ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, we got Ron Johnson Jr., a.k.a. R.J. Wayne, a.k.a. Phyllis Cipher, a.k.a. Ellsworth, and probably another a.k.a. in 2021 coming up. What is up, my man? Bro, what is good with you? That The intro is amazing. Like, I'm going to have to take you with me everywhere. You, you know, like, Ray Charles used to have a dude who did that. Like, he would come out and announce him like that, like every show he did. I, I got to have you do that for me. I just compared me to, to Ray Charles's hype man, bro. Okay. That, that's what it feels like. You make a brother feel special. You make a brother feel like his life has been worth something. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's say that. Hey man, that's, that's, I, I would say 90% of my job is to make everyone that I come across with to feel valued and worthy because they are, because you are. So Hey man, I feel good. Thank you. Appreciative. Thank you, thank you. Appreciative. Let me put this. How you doing today, man? Um, you know, um, the the weekend has been super chill. Um, but actually, literally right before I got on camera with you, I just finalized the uh, the manuscript for uh, Milk Crate to go out to the publisher because I sent it to him once, and then they came back with edits. Like you can't do any editing of your own. You basically just got to give it to them raw text, and then they format it to the page. I called myself, you know, like um, being a couple steps ahead by editing it myself, but they wanted it raw. Course, so I course. had to go back and change everything so that it was a plain format for them. But yeah, that's going out today. So that means that book will be probably out by my birthday, actually, like February. Wow, man. And this has been a long time in the making, too. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote the whole thing in like three days in 2015. Book's been done since Okay. Then. You know what? Like, we, we gotta we gotta rewind a little bit. We gotta rewind a little bit because I definitely want to talk about milk crate monologues. I also want to mention to to everyone listening, this is this is our second time um doing doing this sit down together. Mm -hmm. I wanna I wanna say thank you um ahead of time and I'm gonna continuously say thank you. We did this sit down, we did this recording about a week or two ago. And long story short, shit got screwed up online. Half of the conversation did not get uploaded. And I was hurting, man. I was hurting because we we talked about so much. You shared a lot of knowledge and wisdom and you you shared a lot about your life and you got vulnerable at times. And um it just it hurt me that it was that it was lost, you know, and it was it was out of my hands. I even I, I need to tell you this, bro. I What's even up? 
I even tried to reenact everything, right? Okay. Because what was lost was my side of the conversation. Okay. And so I tried to play your your end and I tried to re-record everything. But man, it was so fun. I was like listening to myself and I was trying to say exactly what I was saying. But it was so conversational that it was just, it was not happening, bro. It just so, wasn't working. Um, I get you. I, I just want to say I'm grateful, man, for for hopping back on. We're going to revisit, for the folks listening, we're going to revisit a lot of, a lot of things we did talk about, but also keep it fresh and talk about some new things. For so, sure. uh, so I'm grateful, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here for it. Well, and technically this is the third time we did it because when you, when you started your podcast, remember in LA, I, I was your first guest as well. <laughs> oh, so so this, this is take three. <laughs> this is take three. Hey, so it's always the third, man. It's always the mm-hmm. third. For sure. Okay. Well, well, here we go. Yeah. Um, Let's let before we get into Muckrate monologues, I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk about that. I mentioned beatboxing, right? In your in your intro, yes, um, yes. And your career as as a musician and as an artist generally, I believe, from what we've talked about in the past, started with beatboxing, and then beatboxing led to to rapping and to and to more music, which now kind of leads us. To now, where you know you're publishing your own collection of of hip hop stories, hip hop monologues, hip hop for the theater. So, it, uh, so I want to start at the beginning. It's true. The um, so I've been an actor since I was about three years old. So I've been performing. Um, but the first kind of professional performance that I ever did was beatbox, and and um, and I was also only an observer in hip hop until that happened. So that that was my entryway into professional performance and to the game we call hip hop music was through beatbox. Yeah. Vocal percussion for those that do not understand what beatbox is. And now you're coming out with your own uh, instructional uh, video. Where where did that idea come from? Well, that that idea, honestly, that idea came from the fact that. So I have this love-hate relationship with beatbox. Um, as I said, it's it's the thing that got me started in hip-hop. But um, while, while people love to witness beatbox, while people um, love to hear it, they aren't necessarily the most respectful people when it comes to the performers. And, and I experienced that through my career where, you know, when, when you're a beatbox and you're good at it and you can do a lot of stuff, people consider you, you know, their personal jukebox. Like, like I'll, I'll perform. I was a rapper and a beatbox, but at the time I was way better at beatbox than I was a rapper. So nobody even cared that I rapped. So if I, I'll go on stage and beatbox and I do a, I do like a 20, 30 minute set. And as soon as I get off stage, like five rappers would come and pull me to the outside where they're having a cypher outside the building and expect me to beatbox for another half an hour. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so, so that that's the kind of relationship that I that I've had, where where you'll be on stage doing your set, the things you want to do, and people will literally like shout at you, "Do this, do that." Some of it's out of love, but at, at some point it was like, okay, this is just disrespect. So, so mm. I I cut it from my set entirely once I was once I was comfortable with um with rapping and and um you know the mastery of word, I, I was I was doing that way more, and then I beatbox maybe one or two times a set. Um, sometimes if I feel the vibe in the group is strong and, uh, and they're good people, you know, I'll pull it out and, uh, that always gets a good response. But yeah, mo- most people now don't even know me as a beatbox. They don't even know that that's what I did. 
Yeah, the first time I heard you beatbox was when we when we met uh, two three years ago. I never get the timing right, man, because I, f- I feel like I've known you my whole life. I, well, but- <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like forever. But but honestly, yeah, it's been. I met you in 2018. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. 2021. So, and, and and we met doing theater. So I had no inclination of your background in beatbox. I had no idea of you doing music or rapping or anything like that. Right. I would hear you backstage beatboxing once in a while. I was like, oh, this guy beatboxes too. And I, I beatbox. I, I thought I was the shit in high school because I would beatbox just for fun. But I was the only beatboxer. At my private Catholic school, right? So, 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 so when you're when you're the only one, me up. yeah, that's what I mean. When you're the only one, everybody pulls you in every direction, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. that's what happens. Everybody's like, "Oh, kick the beat, kick the beat, kick the beat," <laughs> you know, bro. I got I got to send you this YouTube. It's me. Uh, it's me beatboxing for our. Uh, I think it's my senior year of high school talent show. Okay, it's still it's still up on YouTube, man. I'll, oh, you see, we did. yeah, bro. You have to show me now. <laughs> We did a we did a rendition a cover of uh, Usher's "My Boo," okay, and uh, and and some other song I, I forget which one, but uh, but yeah, no, it's up there, it's up there. But uh, but yeah, so so the YouTube series just came out of uh, I still have a, a a a big love for it. Um, I I still practice it. I do it all the time when I'm alone, or sometimes I'll do recordings of it. But really, what I wanted to do was my my style is a bit unique. It, it borrows from a bunch of other beatboxers over the years, but I think I have a, a unique style that I could share with people. So I thought instead of just going everywhere and performing it, I would do this instructional series where um, it's, it's more, this instructional series is not like a, this is how you do this sound. It's not that, it's not that way. It, it's like, I'm going to do it in front of you. You're going to learn by doing, because that's the way I learned. Right. So so it's going to be, it's basically going to be an instructional series where you hear nothing but beatboxing. And in, in between that is going to be silence. It's going to be like, I'm going to do the beat. You're going to hear it. Then I'm going to do an individual part of the beat. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to do the next part. I'm going to slow it down, do the next part, slow it down, speed it up, put it all together. End result again, episode over. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just going to be like that. That's so clean, man. That's so clean. <clears throat> How how does one um, are you going to be like promoting this on your on your socials or like how does one yeah. lo- look out for this? So well, okay, so so my my Philosopher channel was on YouTube forever, and I would upload things there, but I never took it seriously. So what I did was I turned it into an actual verified artist thing because I have so much music. So I I um I conflated that with the the artistry page. So now that you go to Philosopher, you'll see all my music on that page. And um, mm-hmm. nothing else. So I will start uploading to that channel as my official Philosopher presence. Um, my personal YouTube account that I used to upload those things to is now changed. I changed the name of that. So the Philosopher is brand new, fresh and clean. And everything that I do that is hip hop related content will end up on that channel. I got an Ellsworth channel too, but that, that'll be for gaming. I haven't started that yet, but I've kind of, um, I, I started the, the IDs for these channels and then I just kind of park them for when they're ready, right? But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, you can you can always find me on Instagram. You can always find me on Facebook. Um, I'm on Reverb Nation. You know, what I mean, I got I got different places where you can find me. Um, so it'll it'll always be ready for people. Um, when it's when it's out, you'll know about it. There are a bunch of places you could go to figure it out. out. 
That's the crazy thing that I've always noticed about you, man, is that you've always, I don't know, I, f- I, f- I feel like the way you maneuver in life is like playing chess. You all, you're always set up, bro. Always, always, always set up. Um, I want I want to talk about how you went from beatbox to rapping. Was also was that also like like a like a planned game setup, or was there a moment where where you absolutely just changed changed it up and, see, and made that leap? See, it's funny that you said that because because I I love chess. I think chess is a great game, but I'm actually like a, a beastly checkers player. Okay. <laughs> Where, okay. And and okay. and for for me, ch- chess is definitely like plan, think ahead, all the strategy. But checkers to me is a more powerful game because you have to make those kind of quick decisions, smart decisions on the fly. It's almost like mm. you don't have a chance to react. You, if if you move to the wrong place, you can get three jumps, and three of your pieces could be missing in an instant. So so I play. Yeah, I I do my shit like checkers. Maybe maybe I play chess with it before I even pull out the checkers board. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of what I'm always gonna do. But yeah, I'm I'm into. I don't know the uh, the tense moments, the pressure, the clutch shit is where I shine the most. Like I can make these mm-hmm. kind of cool decisions on the fly. I've been able to since I was really young. I I, I think quickly. I move quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So what was there that big moment for you where where you were like uh, it's it's time for me to step up to the plate uh, what did you even have that that perspective of you know oh I I need to share my content my words I need to spit for people well, did you ever have a moment well, like okay. that I always like bottom line I always wrote rhymes alongside of my beatbox I just didn't show anybody you know ah. what I mean and and that that was out of profound respect for the people who are the practitioners of the art right for MCs, the rappers that I loved at the time, I didn't think I could get anywhere near them. So I wouldn't show anybody. I wouldn't put myself out that way. When I looked around and saw the beatboxers and, and the way that I practice, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm actually above average. So putting that out there is okay. Right. But, um, but what, what happened there was that, um, and, and I think this is an important part in everybody's life. Beatbox to me was, was me showing how much I loved hip hop beatbox to me has always felt like me being a fan, right? Rapping to me has always been way more serious because Mm -hmm. these words you're writing down on a page, if you ever record them and people buy them, you're leaving them behind. Like you'll never be able to say you didn't write that or say that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and this is the important part in people's life is what I like to call it's, it's either you're going to spend the rest of your life being a fan or you're going to be the person that they come to see. And, and when I made that decision that I was going to be the dude that they came to see, Beatbox immediately took the back seat because if I, was, if I was going to leave my lasting impact on the culture, it was going to be through rap. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's when rap took over. And that's when I started really crafting my style, my persona, who I was, studying every kind of rhyme that I could, you know, my deliveries, all that. That, that's when that became super serious. And I did not go pro until I was 17, 18 years old. And I had completely quit basketball because that was another thing that I was doing. Um, mm. and, and because of the bureaucracy of the sport on, um, on the junior levels, you know, your middle school, high school, AAU, um, I just got really sick of it. And, uh, and I quit probably like the only thing in my life I've ever given up, not come to think of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I stopped wanting to play basketball professionally and work on my skills. And I was like, you know what? 
music is calling me. It's always been calling me. That that's just what I'm gonna do. So I stopped that, which ended up being really funny because my senior year in high school, um, I used to perform at the basketball games at halftime, and people started showing up just to see me perform and not to watch the game. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Bro? Yeah, bro. Yeah. So, wow. so that was yeah. That was uh, that do, was when I knew do you it remember? was. What's up? Do you remember any? Do you remember any any of the the like the words or or like the the, the content you would you would oh, perform? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I put out I put out a mixtape that summer before I became a senior in high school. I put out a mixtape. Oh, okay. It was twenty four tracks long. I did it in summer school. I did a huge mixtape and um and and I like I like I told you last time to my standards it was trash. Um, right, there, right. There's like yeah. There's no way that I would put that out now. But the but the fact that I put it out and got the response that I did told me I was headed in the right direction. People bought that mixtape for me and was like bumping it in their cars like it was a studio album. It did not sound not nearly as clean as it needed to. But yeah, the fact that they yeah. responded to it and they responded to me as an artist was what helped to push me in that direction. So yeah, by the time we were back in school, um, I was performing you know nightly at at the uh, at the gym. <laughs> and, and people and people show your first up. your first stage huh it, was it was it one of your first stages one of my first one of my first but but by the time like i said by the time i was 17 i was already out in san jose nightlife i was at clubs i was at bars they were letting me perform the coffee shops um all the hip-hop spots i was i was performing solid i was out there something some something really like relatable and also like just affirming that I love uh, from from that story is that is that you, e even though you're looking back at it and you're like, oh, that shit was trash, you still put it out there. And because it gave you the affirmation of like, oh, like people, people think my, my stuff's tight, right, you know, right. it, it, it gas you up to keep going. And I think, I mean, I don't know, I, I've had those moments where I myself, I've, I'm hesitant to, because I'm a perfectionist. And so a lot of the times I'm hesitant to, to release stuff or to show people things or to even talk about ideas because I feel maybe it's at a stage of not being perfect, mm -hmm. but I feel like that, that stops or can stop my creativity. Well, well what do you think? Well, okay. So my, my stance on it has always been, and maybe that's because of the things that I've experienced and the things that I've done is that, and there, and there's a part two to this high school thing that I'll tell you later. So, uh -huh. My my stance on it is pretty radical because it requires a lot of self-determination. So here's what I believe. I believe that that if there's something you know you want to do or something you think you're good at or something you think that could be, you know, the chain, the turning point in your life, you need to go out there and you need to do it as big as you can in the moment. Right? Like and and that's what I what I mean is like. If you want to be an actor, but you have a freaking 12 hour job, maybe one day a week you can go to an acting class and you can pay mm -hmm. for that because you have the money because you're working. Right. Go to that acting class and boss out. You know what I'm saying? Like go to that acting class and act like you're on stage or like you're doing an Oscar winning performance. Like, like you do you do it as big as you can in the moment. And the reason why I say that is because either it's going to be a resounding success to you or it's going to be a huge failure to you. But either way, mm -hmm. you're going to get to see everything out in the open for the first time all at once. And I guarantee you, 
you go and boss out in that class, you go and boss out in that performance, you go and boss out on that record and put it out, the, the drive home will feel different. The going to bed at night will feel different. The waking up will feel different. The next time you try to do it, it will feel different. And that will inform your choices moving forward. Ooh, yeah, it's you know? a high you get, man. It's a high yeah. you get from, yeah. from performing, from, from putting yourself out there, from, uh, from being seen in a different way. Yeah, right? and, and even if it's not what you want entirely, you're going to get a really clear vision of what it, what it is and what it could become based on putting it out there. So I'm a huge fan of going out there and doing it. Like, like there's, um, uh, there's, a, there's a good lyric for that. It, it's like, the further you're willing to go just to get it is the distance I traveled before I could regret it. <laughs> you know one, one of my boys uh, put that in a song one time and, and just had me stuck. And, and that, that's the reason. That, the reason is, yeah, because I went so far into this thing with no fear before I realized the danger, before I realized, you know, a- anything that was associated with the negative part of what I was doing. So, mm-hmm. so I was already deep in the game before I realized that there could be any setbacks at all. Uh, like, for, so, so I went from performing at high school gyms to the very next year after I got out of high school, I was in Billboard magazine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and it snowballed from there. It, it, it became something super large. I became known in the Bay and then all of a sudden it fell off again. It started again. It fell off again. It started again, you know, but but it was those it was those moments where I tested my metal in front of everybody, knowing I could mess up at any time, knowing that things could go wrong at any time. Um, but I just became this uh, this kind of thing that people like to see and this thing that this quantity that people could trust. And um, that was because I put myself out there and uh, was not worried about the consequences at the time, which which, you know, you chalk up to being young. But I just really wanted it. You know, I just yeah, really no, wanted it. 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 It definitely shows, man. I mean, you, you, I mean, you, you came out with a whole bunch of albums and, and mixtapes. Most of the albums I, I've had access to uh, are on Spotify right now, and like you know, uh, iTunes and, and you know other streaming platforms. Um, and and if I've I've had the time and the like just the privilege to to listen to them when when I first met you, I immediately listened to what I think is definitely your best album but that's that's my opinion hey, it's, it's it's it's, okay. it's my it's my it's my favorite album it's okay it's, it's man borrowed time mm-hmm. and um it's one of mine too i i yeah, mean i like bro. i like all my songs but i think borrowed time is the most uh complete album i've done you know it's it's definitely my favorite and and then after i've listened to that i i went i went back and i listened to, to the rest of your albums and hey, all your albums from finish to from start to finish they they all like flow bro they all flow with with this urgency of 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 poetry and and making strong opinions you uh-huh. don't you don't seem to make party music you know what i mean especially compared to party music that that's around today yeah there's there's enough party music like, yeah. like i don't i don't hate it but there's there's enough people out there doing that in an interview that uh, that you did with with <clears throat> actually one of our homies i want to shout her out uh, is uh, is um, melissa oh yeah yeah uh, Melissa you use yeah 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 you compared your process in making music to Bruce Lee developing Jeet Kune Do yes you you said that and 
I want to I want to elaborate on that. I want to get into that. Um, what did you What did you mean by that? Well, okay, so so when so when all of this goes down, my and and that's and the process I was talking about was was the book, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Specifically, the book is Hip Hop Monologues for Theater, which, to my knowledge, has never been done before. Um, and, and it's never been put on stage in an authentic format, which, you know, I believe many, many people have used hip hop to do theater, have used hip hop to do other things, but that's just it. They're using it. They're not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, hip, hip hop is much larger than the, than the slices you peel away from it to paste onto something else. Right. So, so that, that's what I meant. So when, when Bruce Lee developed Jeet Kune Do, it was after he had um, received a severe injury to his spinal cord. They thought he would never walk again. So, so when he's in the hospital room, the only thing he could think about was, you know, my fixed positions, the way that I fight, it takes too long. There's too much traditional form in what I'm doing, and it doesn't mean anything. How can I, how can I distill um, the beauty of martial arts down to its essence and give it to people so that they can not only be competent fighters, but understand the art um, uh, quickly and easily, right? And and that that's what I've meant by that. That like the the jikudo. What I did with the book was I, I had to figure out a way to do hip hop monologues that kept my style, that encompassed what I wanted to talk about, but something that could be accessible for other people to learn and to do if they were instructed. Right. That's what I was talking yeah. about. My music process is like whole nother thing. I wouldn't compare myself to Bruce Lee in any way. And <laughs> actually, Bruce Lee is very concise in his career. And, and my music career has been very messy. Um, be it because it not 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 because I did it intentionally, but because it got complicated when because I love to collaborate. And that's what mm-hmm. made my career messy was because if, if I would have just did a Bruce Lee and went at it alone, Maybe I would have been more successful, <laughs> but uh, I, I love to uh, collaborate with pe- people. I love the collaborative process. It's one of the most fun parts of my life. So every time I enter somebody else into what I'm doing, it becomes complicated. Things get messy. So, so that's, yeah. So I would not compare my own career to his at all. Um, but the process of the book was what I was speaking about directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you know, you know what I was thinking? What, what, what I had imagined in my head is, the way the way I view how how you attack your art is is by not following the trends. I mean, we're we're in a day, we're in an age where literally people are searching on like Instagram and TikTok what the hashtag of the day is so that they can recreate it and they could follow that trend. Yep. You you are the complete opposite of that, bro. And so when I was thinking of Bruce Lee and I, when I heard you, you know, talking about that in another interview, I, I, for me, I connected the dots. I was like, oh yeah, like, like Ron, to me, he's, he's paved his own way of sticking to sticking to, or, or having conviction in what he talks about and what content he's, he's creating in, in hip hop specifically. That's, that's how I was viewing that. No, for sure. For sure. And, and the idea is to, um, the, the idea, and, and I love Bruce Lee and I love his teachings, you know what I mean? I, I read them all the time. You know, to be formless and shapeless, it means to be adaptable to any situation. So, yeah, so there's a piece of that in everything that I do. But specifically, I applied it to um, the last piece that I did, the last work. Right, right, right. 
when it comes when it comes to your music, how do you attack making music? What's what, what's your inspiration? How do you how do you put uh, pen to paper? What's what's the motivation? What's the discipline? So so the music the way the way that it happens is that the music has already been made because I've already had the thought. I've already pieced together what I want to say. It's a, it's a matter of finding the right beat and finding the structure that allows those words to come out. I'm constantly mm. thinking about things. I'm constantly having conversations with you, my friends, everybody that I know about the things that are passionate to me and the things that I care about, right? And so all of those things are getting stored. And, and when, when music happens, it's just the right time for those things to come out. Does that make sense? Like, um, mm-hmm. I, I write how I think it. So the writing doesn't take long when the situation and the circumstances are correct. If, if, the, if the beat hits the right way, or if I'm making a beat and, and it speaks to me in the way that I know this one conversation we had, I just, it just comes out. You know, I don't have to spend too much time on it. We're talking, you know, we're talking maybe a couple hours to maybe a day or so before it's completely out on the page for the first time. Um, but but that's wow, but, so. but that's a thought process that's happened for many days, many hours before any of the music stuff ever gets started. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious. Do you? I mean, do you? Do you intentionally sit down and say, "Okay, I wanna, I wanna talk about this, this, um, some, sometimes this idea." Yeah, some, uh-huh. sometimes it'll be like, "Oh, you know what? I should totally make a song about that." So then I'll make a beat that sounds like what I want to say, and then I know what I want to say, mm-hmm. and I do it. Other times, like I said, uh, it'll be something I've been pondering for a while, something I've been thinking about for a while, and then um, some sounds or some drums will bring that back up for me. And then that will start to take shape, right? It can happen either way, but but when but when it's uh when it's rolling, it doesn't take long, you know. Like like if I if I were a bachelor right now, living by myself in my house, like I could probably yeah. do an album in like two and a half weeks, three weeks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, yeah. You kind of, you kind of actually did over the summer, bro. You you came out with a mixtape that you literally wrote in one day. I did. You yeah. did it over. You did it over a, a producer that goes by Otis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's out right now. I think I think it's uh, what is I, it I on that Piff? Well, yeah, it's on that Piff, and it's on um, SoundCloud because I contacted him directly and he gave me permission. So I used I used yeah. his beats on there and he was totally down with it. But um, I made him a promise that I wouldn't sell it. So I put it out in two free places so that people could just hear it, you know, um, because his music inspires me. And and out of that, you know, um, I, I probably will get a chance to work with him in the studio at some point um, when all this when all this uh, calms down and we have a clear vision of where the country's going and we don't have to worry about travel. You know, I'm right. He, he's already right. invited me to to come up to the studio in San Francisco and get down with him. So I'm so hyped for that, bro. Oh, Literally, the mix, the mix that you, you that you made in one day, bro. Like, tell me about like you're. We're talking about you, like you know, sitting down, coming out with ideas, and you know, um, and and how you write. But how did you do it in one freaking day? Um, it, well, like I said, the, if the circumstances are correct, then it just comes out. I think about stuff all the time and I, and I file it in these mental folders, right? So, so I'm, I'm constantly thinking about whether I'm driving, taking a shower, I'm sitting down eating, I'm watching a video, I'm watching a movie, I'm talking with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, the, yeah. 
these these type of things get filed in my brain and get revisited when I get when it gets triggered by something. So so for Otis, I've been listening to Otis's beats for years, thinking like, bro, I should totally do songs over these. Right. Uh-huh. And and so I and so what I did was I, I it was in a lull. I didn't have anything to do during that summer. So I started going back to his music page and selecting beats that I would make a mixtape off of and what I would do. You know, and and then when I finally so it was what, like, what was it, five songs, something like that? I can't um, no, nah, bro. I, it felt like more. Did it? Isn't there more? Did I do five? Isn't that I like I only did five. seven? It might Isn't be like seven. seven. No. Anyway, it's been a while. Let, the the, the content, back. the content is long. The content is long and good. Yeah, that's so, that's that's what matters. So yeah, it's all good. But it, yeah, the mixtape is called "When When Ron Heard Otis," right? Yeah, and that and that's yeah. again, that's that's the thing. Like I heard Otis, and his beats make me feel a certain way, make me think about things. So it just came out. So it was there speaking of how how music makes us feel uh there's a little article i still have to send you uh that i that i found i did my little my little google search underground hip-hop said that your production on borrowed time uh was by far and i quote the most organic hip-hop production that they have heard with a heavy underground sound which they all love yeah. <laughs> I mean, cool. Yeah. Cool, bro. I love that. Um, thank you to Underground <laughs> Connect, Hip Hop. Connecting that to to where you are today, you know, from borrowed time and even earlier to today, where you're publishing Milk Crate monologues. Mm-hmm. In that process of Milk Crate, you taught me what hip hop meant. You took us to hip hop school and you taught us what hip hop meant. And it means intelligent movement. Um, that is and, true. You know, that hip hop. Hip hop is a way to teach and to learn from each other. And it's not just, you know, not just a means to elicit emotion. So based on, based on what uh, underground hip hop said and how they reviewed you and how popping it was, why, why isn't things like that in hip hop mainstream? Well, because, because the, the culture, it, as, as I put it in the introduction in my book that when, when, something, when something becomes large enough to where many iterations start to peel off from it, it loses its potency and it loses its purity, which is inevitable. That, that just mm-hmm. is the process, right? Fruit, if left out too long, rots. Okay? It's biodegradable. It turns back into the thing that it originally was, right? So, so it, there's this process. The thing comes out, it becomes diluted, it degrades, right? So, it, so hip hop could have never stayed pure. That's, that's not my point. What, I, what I'm saying is the reason why that stuff is not out there is because it is wild and untamed and you can't control hip hop, which, mm-hmm. which, which is why they try to take pieces away from it and give it to people and magnify and say, oh, this is hip hop, this is everything, right? Be because they know that they can't control it as an entity. Stuff stuff like mine can't be packaged in a neat little box unless you're willing to explain things to people. Uh, to to explain my process and what I do with the music, excuse me, 
to explain that to people, people have to know other things about other things because hip hop is the the um the scattered remnants of pop culture all built into another subculture, right? We literally sampled records from old songs that nobody was using and made beats out of them. That's the tradition in hip hop. We're taking this thing and we're adding our distinctiveness to it. We're growing it. We're changing it. It's this uh, this exchange between you and me, me and them, me and this. Okay. So yeah. So the a thing that's growing and changing at that rapid of a rate, a thing that is um, being shared between so many people, can not be contained and distilled into into a definitive version. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just in in California alone, you you have under you have underground hip hop, you have gangster hip hop, you have electro breaks, which became freestyle music. Th- th- that's all hip hop. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's all hip hop. So so the corporate entities, the people who want to use hip hop to sell what they want, they have to pick one. They they can't say this is hip hop, this is hip hop, and this is hip hop because then they'll create brand confusion. Mm. Does that make sense? Like yeah, like yeah. And and this is the problem they've had with hip hop since the beginning. It, is that what is hip hop? How do we show people what hip hop is? But also, how do we control it so we have we we control the pipeline and they have to get it from us? Right. The the answer yeah. is you can't do it. Because hip hop is everywhere, hip hop is in everyone. Hip hop is what's going on with the people, and it will rapidly grow and change. So, so this is how the culture became diluted because the corporate culture mm-hmm. has this version of what they think hip hop is and what they sell to people. And the world, the scope, the spectrum of hip hop is so much larger than they could ever um, break down. Do you think do you think <clears throat> the balance between, you know, mainstream hip hop and like the underground is is out of whack right now? Um no, I don't think so. And and the reason why I say that is because is because the underground element of hip hop is has now become digital, right? Like um you have YouTube rappers who have whole careers mm-hmm. off making music and making music videos and they don't even perform anywhere and they got like millions of fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that's underground. That's underground. They're not supported by a major record label. They they do their thing on YouTube and, and they sell their music and people buy it and, and it's cool. And then their stuff goes yeah. to Spotify and, um, you know, they ain't on the red carpet, but they make him probably just about as much money as the dudes that are. So maybe more. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, because they control they're teenagers shit. making their teenagers making uh, millions on off of, off of places like YouTube. Right. And and so so that underground element, I think, has always been strong. But but see, in in my era, um, the underground element got poached to package the hip hop to sell it. Mm-hmm. Right? No, notice notice the the hip hop that they promote as the hot new thing sounds very different today than what they use to sell products. When they like when they sell products in commercials, they use the raw hip hop shit. You ever notice that? They use the boom bap shit. To sell uh, products. Uh-huh. When uh-huh. it's music, they got this trap thing going on. They got this very uh, drum machine influence stuff. But but now, because and the reason why is because in my era, that was the boom bap is what we listened to. So now that yep. I'm in almost in my 40s, they're using the boom bap to sell shit to me 
because they know that that's what I like and that's what I remember. The, the, Bruh, I want to see. I want. I want to see an Adidas commercial again. I want to see a hip hop Adidas Run DMC commercial, bro. I mean, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it, Adidas. If you're listening, I'm down. Let's go. Not sponsored yet, but yeah. But I'm open. That would be nice. I'm. I'm open to it. Matter of <laughs> fact, I, sh- I shout them out in the book. Do you? Yeah, yeah we're kind of like a backhanded compliment. I'm. I'm like, you know, uh, thank you for taking a chance on us, but you owe us a lot of money. thank you for taking a chance on hip-hop but you know you wouldn't have made all that dough had it not been for us yeah (laughs) man yeah well i want to i want to i want to pull up some uh i want to pull up some numbers um that i I was looking up the other day um and how influential you have been how influential phyllis cypher has been okay streaming in poland this last year 10 percent Mm-hmm. Streaming in the U.S. seventy nine percent, a total of about two point eight k streams, and you've been listened to in over forty eight countries, bro. That's true. And uh, and caveat, I feel like those streams would have been a lot larger had I released something in the last five years. <laughs> right, right, right. So the, yeah, the, the, I didn't. This release is anything this for is. For five 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 years or or older albums, yeah, right? these are yeah, yeah. The, the those numbers that you're talking about are from quarterly results and um and statistic results from the last five years where I was like dead silent, I didn't do anything. Hey man, congrats! That's that's pretty amazing. I don't know, I I saw that and I was really proud of you when you when you posted that, man. I was really happy to see that. Um, and which makes me so excited because I know you got projects coming out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, we I know you got projects. Like we're officially back. Out. We back. Yeah, so. man. So okay, talk to me about that. Is is it Phil Cipher coming back? Is it uh, another alias? I mean, we mentioned at the top, right? You got all these different aliases. Um, that is true. What's what's popping? Who, so, who is it? Who's coming so, up? So so okay. So the campaign of Phil Cipher's war against the entertainment industry is coming to an end. <laughs> so so that that's what's happening so so me so me fighting commercialized hip-hop as phil cypher i'm (laughs) I'm going to finish that fight so the single star is coming up from an album called comma which Mm -hmm. which is the second album in the borrowed time well-spent trilogy borrowed time was the first album in a trilogy and when the two albums release comma and subsequently well-spent the Philosopher canon will be complete. That that will be over 20 years of my life closed as a chapter. So that catalog will be complete. People will be able to listen to Philosopher's first professional album in 2004, all the way to this stuff right here. And like I said, there are mixtapes and bootlegs and shit out there that people have, but I didn't go pro pro like published until 2004. So so that that's when uh, that's when I really took it seriously. We actually did the paperwork, and so so officially on Spotify. If you look at my discography, that's when I started music was two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. But it had mm-hmm. been way before that that I started. Um, so yeah, the Philosopher campaign will be over. I will <laughs> retire that name, and uh, I will be from that point forward. I will be known as Ellsworth, and Ellsworth is not just hip hop music. Uh, it will encompass everything that I know how to do. Most people don't understand. I, I play multiple instruments. Um, I compose. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. sing. 
I rap, I beatbox. Um, so all of that will be present on the albums moving forward. And because that creates a different sound, it needed a different name. So that's that's what I gave it. Before before we uh, before we let Phyllis Cipher go, before we retire Phyllis Cipher, I, I tell me about Phyllis Cipher's name because whenever whenever you explain what Phyllis Cipher means, it just it it encompasses everything that anyone needs to know about your intention as that alias, what who you are, how you move, what your goals are, what your mission statement is, just your energy and your vibe. I love I love listening to that story. So who is Phyllis Cipher? Okay, so Philip Phyllis Cipher has its early roots in my beatboxing, right? Um, my first DJ. His name is DJ Beneficial, but back then he went by he went by DJ Pac-Man, which I like Pac-Man better. But but <laughs> his name's Ben Custodia. He's a brilliant DJ, so skilled. Um he he is in LA. He's one of the like top gigging DJs in LA. He plays everywhere, he does everything. So proud of that guy. Um, but he was the one that came up with the name first. And his idea was that because I was predominantly a beatbox, that I was filling the cipher with the beatbox. So it was fill a cipher, but it was spelt differently. It was it was like F I L L A, and then cipher like you usually see it, like uh, like a code, like C Y P H E R, mm-hmm. right? Fill a cipher. So I went with that for a while, but um, the crew that we were in together kind of imploded. So when I was alone again and I was looking to do my own solo work for the first time, I was deciding that I was going to take that name, but I was, and in true hip hop form, right? I was going to repurpose it and make it work for me in the way that I wanted it to work. Cause I liked the way it sounded, uh, but it, it just didn't encompass what I was trying to accomplish. So Philosopher to me, the way I spell it, hopefully it'll be here on the interview somewhere and you can see it. Um, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! I'll spell it out. Yeah, to to, to break down the name would like if you were to hyphenate it, it would be the Phila Cipher. So the Phila is P H I L A, which means to me philosopher, philanthropist, um, someone doing great deeds, um, someone in deep thought. So so to me, that's doing the great deeds and with your words and all of that. The the other hyphenated side, Cipher, right? Which which is the code, but it's also the circle in hip hop, it's, it's where we rhyme. Um, you come to the cypher, you know, you're sharing your lyrics with everybody. So, but the site, the cypher is the code, but it's also the circle. And it, and to me, the circle represents completion, which means it's completely balanced and it travels and everything comes full circle. So, so fill a cypher together is completion of thought, completion of good deed, everything coming full circle. That that's what the name is supposed to mean. Right. So so from from the beginning, that was the intention that I had once I changed the name. And then I released my first mixtape in uh, 2000, which was called My Secret Identity. And uh, and that was, you know, more or less where I took it from that point forward. And if that doesn't hype people to go listen to your (laughs) shit, I don't know what will, bro. That is the most meaningful thing I've heard from uh, from an artist in a very long time that's genuine and that's vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like like t- like telling people what your name means 
is a vulnerable thing. I think. I no, you know, I, you're, I agree with you're, you. You're letting you're letting people live. But uh, but you have to. But but and that's part of who I am. Um, in general, is just I, I stay open to things and and uh, you know, if if people are pure of heart, their intentions are good. Why not help them? You know, why not do something yeah. good? Why not try to work together to uh to build something that's great? So no reason. True why. collaborator. A true collaborator, man. I and I, I wanna I, I'm so curious. You've had this this long-standing career where your focus was in releasing this content and in sharing your knowledge, in being educational, right? Sharing your wisdom through hip hop. And you've done that independently. You've you've written independently. You've produced. You've also collaborated with other artists. Yeah, of course, all the time. Well. I have so many so many good collaborations um, that came over the years. You know. Yeah, yeah, and compared to you directing a show, a theater production of Milk Crate Monologue, something that you've written. And now you're in a group, you're, you're in a circle of people that you've hired to produce and perform your work. What, what was the difference in that? Well, oh, man. Um, so, you know, having students. Well, I've, I've had students before, right? And, and uh-huh, I did. Uh-huh. And, and um, around the time where I wrote Borrow Time, actually, was when I did this, this class called Hip Hop Theater where I, I took it to the high schools and I tried to educate them on that. So the first half of the class was basically explaining hip hop culture to them. The class was eight weeks. So I took, I had four weeks to teach them what it was about. And I had four weeks to teach them how to do it. Right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was my first brush with that, but I don't want, I don't want to get too far into that because that's, that could be a whole nother, um, yeah, that could be a whole nother story. But that but that's the where the teaching artistry for Milk Crate Monologues was built, was with those students. Um, seeing them in their process. I'm I'm very in tune with who I was as a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. I understand those thoughts a lot. So it's easy for me to reach them and see them in that process um and and help them with that. So that became a part of it as well. And and so that that's where the idea for this came out. So the so the book happened. Um, I wrote that and that was intended to be a book of hip hop monologues for theater that could be studied by acting students, um, performed um, as like, I don't know, like people trying to get into colleges or people trying to audition with things for theater or what have you. It, it would give them some way to spice up their auditions, to spice up their acting and theater education and do it in a way that nobody had seen. Like if you're looking to stand out when you do theater doing a monologue from my book will stand out. Nobody will have ever heard it before, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, it, and it'll yeah. hit people in there in, in the hard targets where, where you want to hit people with theater. Right. So, so that was my plan. Now, as far as performance, when it was brought to my attention that somebody thought maybe the script could be done as a theater performance, immediately I was thinking one person show. And the reason why I was mm-hmm. thinking that was because I had written all the lyrics and, you know, as an MC, when you're in that mode, giving up your lyrics to somebody else is almost like giving pieces of your soul away. Right. So yeah. so th- yeah. so that's rough. That's that's hard. Um, and, and that's that's why I've never ghostwritten for anybody. That's why I've never given my lyrics to somebody else and let them say them on a record and make money off of it. I could have done that. I probably it probably would have been very lucrative, but there 
there's just something that feels wrong about that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, now, now if you're intentionally, I don't want to hate on ghostwriters. If you're intentionally writing lyrics for that person, that's different. But right, right. But, but right. the lyrics I write are for me and they're my personal perspective. So me giving those away to somebody else to say is weird. And, and it right. almost hurts to think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So when somebody came to me and was like, hey, you should do this as a theater show, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, I can't really cast people and let them do these words because that would be that. But I was wrong about that. Uh-huh. Okay. I was wrong about that. Be it because what happens is, first of all, I, I got I to gotta call myself out because I'm like, bro, you wrote these as a way for other people to get involved with hip hop and theater in the first place. So if you write this book and you sell the book, people are going to be saying your shit already. Right. So I had to call right. myself yep. out on that and I had to be like, okay, so it's okay when you want it to happen, but you, you, know, you want to be selfish. So I had to kick myself in the ass on that at first mm-hmm. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. be like you know what that's not what hip-hop is about you can't just hold on to this shit and then let it out when you feel like it okay it has to mm-hmm. come out so so th- so then i was like okay okay self you're right <laughs> all right so if, if we're if we're gonna do this as a theater show then the book needs to be pulled apart and it needs to be reformatted in a theater format and it no longer can be one person saying it. It has to be multiple people saying it. So, so I chose 10 monologues, got to be 10 people, Mm -hmm. right? 10 unique voices, 10 different points of view that will interpret the lyrics the way they see it. And they will rap with each other. So, so that, so then, yeah. So then I looked at milk crate as its own entity, no longer as me. And that was the important distinction that set that emotion that ended up casting you, casting everybody and putting them in the position to, uh, to get that. Because I knew I was going to be able, I had done the hip hop theater thing before, so I knew I was going to be able to instruct you guys, right? But mm-hmm. I was so concerned with the message being lost um, that I almost did it myself. And, and that mm-hmm. would have been a mistake. <clears throat> had I just done it myself, it would have just been another album. I should have just released it as this is the Milk Crate Monologues album that I did, right? It would have been a yeah. whole different experience. I'm glad I decided against that and I chose to be collaborative and I chose to um, reinterpret the words and, and reinterpret the meaning of those words through you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I did that. I, w- I was really grateful to be a part of that. I, I learned so much, not just about performing with you and performing this type of new hip hop theater work, um, but I also learned a lot about your life. That's true. The, these lyrics aren't surface lyrics. They're vulnerable. You get in, you cut in deep. And there was very little places to hide within within this material it was it was straightforward it was blunt it was in your face it's everything that hip hop is right right straight up it was no bullshit um it was no bullshit plus just a deep dive in into your life and and how messy it it is like, how messy like, it can like be said, for yeah, others it, and 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 I'll drive that point home again. You know, my life could have been very simple had I just fallen, followed a trajectory that was laid out for me. 
You know what I mean? But I chose to make it complicated by adding as many people as I could, as making many different decisions as I could. You know what I mean? And that's and and to me, that's the beauty of it, right? I I couldn't have been the person who I am right now had I not made those choices. I could have been so many things had I had I used this motivation, um, this determination to just go in a single direction. You know, it, it could have been something completely different. When you saw us up there, uh, the group, the ten, the ten of us performing your your milk crate monologues. What was that experience like? I mean, we were out there saying your words, saying your poetry, your bars about your life. What was that experience like? So, so what you guys don't know is that I I watched you guys every night. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, I, I thought I thought you were like in the lobby or something nah, nah. sometimes. I, or, I performed I performed two pieces in the show, and everybody else did the rest of the show. And so when I wasn't performing. I would go out into the stage. I, I would watch you guys, or I would go out into the audience. I would watch you guys from there. Shut but up. also, I would watch you from backstage and in the uh, in the two exits on the sides. So I would watch you guys every night. I saw it from every angle. I know exactly. Um, I, I was so I was so proud. the The first thing that comes to mind is a joke, which was like. Cause you know how I feel about my music and how people respond to it. I'm like, oh, watch now. Now that everybody said else is saying my words, everybody's gonna like it. <laughs> 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 you, you know, <laughs> when, when I'm that's so real. When, though. when, when I'm so in, when real, I'm in front bro. of you talking straight to you directly, y'all most most of y'all can't handle that shit. <laughs> you know, so. but when but when someone else does it, yeah, when someone else does it, all of a sudden it's, it's beautiful art, right? So I, I would laugh to myself as I watched that because I could see the audience reacting to you guys and um and being so impacted. But but again, you got to check yourself in the ego at that moment and and be like, Ron, this is what you said you have wanted your entire life. You you wrote the words. That's enough. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And not only that, mm -hmm. I I implicitly trusted you guys because you guys stayed so open through the whole process. Um, that I, I was confident that, and I would put you up against any performers in the world to do my stuff. And, and that, and that will remain, you guys will, when the play script version comes out of this, you guys are the original cast. You will be there forever. If ever I do this show, you will be the first people that I call because I believe in you that much. And, um, you guys proved a lot to me on those stages, on those nights that you did those things, um. You know, that that's that's the lasting impression that I have was that so many times I've been burned by collaboration and I felt emotionally um, distraught by collaborating with people who then turn around and do, you know, other things to you. And um, Milk Crate made me appreciative that I still hold that in my heart as something that's important. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, see, this is why it's so important to stay collaborating. Be it because this is the end result. In the end, you will get here to a point that's beautiful and that's worth your time, you know? And um, it, it just so happens that I had had so much practice with collaboration that the time I decided to do it for my own stuff, it worked perfectly. There was nothing yeah, wrong with it yeah. at all. It, it was perfect in my eyes. I'm, I'm so hyped and excited about Milk Crate. It was one of the most rewarding experiences uh i've ever been a part of 
Um, and not just the performing part, but honestly, man, going to school with you, going to hip hop school every day, learning something. I think that's what it is all about for me personally. It's, it's not the end result. It, the end result, of course, feels great and you're able to reach people and that continues, right? It's to me, an end result is never ending, but it's to me, man, I love learning. I love the process of learning too, and man. sitting down with you sitting down with you and just picking your brain and having access to, to your life experiences was just, it, it meant the world to me, bro. It was, it was the dopest shit. And I hope, I hope people get their hands on that, on that book when it's, when it's published and get to, get to peep your shit on, on YouTube. Um, because they deserve it. I honestly well, believe that. Well, also don't, don't forget that the, the cast album that you guys put together was amazing too. And there's going to be video clips of the performances out there with you guys doing it. And I hope people get their hands on that. Yeah. Um, any, any timeline on that? Any ideas so, on so, was that? So what, when that's what my out? engineer has told me, my producer slash engineer, my, my Viking super producer, his name is Dan Cato Wilson. He's also doing these albums as well. Yeah. The, the follow-ups to uh borrow time. And he mm -hmm. told me that he is putting himself on track to get everything done by the end of January. So that means the album that I just completed, all the singles, the Milk Crate cast album, and then we'll have the slate clean for that third album and the Ellsworth joints. And um, and so he tells me that that's going to be done relatively quickly. So what I have to do is I have to take the um, the clips from you guys actually recording the cast album and the clips from the performance live that we have and make like a mm -hmm. little bit of an EPK press kit out of those so I can get that ready for the subsequent release. So the book should <sighs> my book should come out in February, the cast album, not too far behind. And then the video content will be released over time. And there's already a documentary series that we did while the, the play was getting put on that uh, I think people should go see. You can see that on my Instagram TV channel. Like all 10 episodes are there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You put together, you edited all that. You have, yeah, I did uh, that while really we were cool. rehearsing. <laughs> you have really, really cool and funny, like throwback, uh, intros, intro videos, mm -hmm. calling back to, to early hip hop moments, uh, on TV and, and whatnot. It's really genius work. It's really cool, bro. We're, first of all, we're going to have to have another podcast and I'm totally okay with it because I definitely want you back okay. on, uh, on tenacious talk. And because we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the other shit that you do, like like acting. You're you're oh, also yeah. we could do that a working actor in um in Hollywood. So we're definitely gonna have a separate um podcast for that, so we could really get in into into acting. Um, all this shit that you do, bro. Like, where do you find the time? Um. What what gets you? I mean, are you inspired every day? Is it discipline? How do you like? How do you hustle so much? There's you're always working on something. Well, different. well, dude. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't had a regular job in a minute. Mm -hmm. I think the last time I worked a retail job was like 2004. <laughs> you know, and and the reason why is be well the the reason why I have the time to do this is because I slowly methodically put things in place to be able to be an artist that gets paid for the rest of my life. So yeah. So, and, and that was not an easy thing. 
And it was full of a lot of hardship and a lot of not having money. Um, but over the course of 10 years, I've set myself up as a, um, what's, what you call a teaching artist, you know, an uncredentialed teacher that teaches electives in humanities, you know, fine arts. So I make money doing that. Um, I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild. So I'm a part of the, the best performers union in the world. If you're working with them, they take care of you. Um, I do, I do non-union theater. So I can pick up a lot more union or non-union jobs than I can full union jobs. Eventually, I will mm-hmm. join the union. Um, I will join um, equity. I'm actually pretty close to that. We can talk about that off camera. <laughs> um, but but yeah, dude, like the things that I do that I have time for is because it's all that I do. You know, um, I don't have to. Um, I don't have to chop my time in half between a nine to five and doing this, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah. Where I can pursue this full time and the outcomes that I have produced have been enough monetarily to enable me to continue to do it. Maybe that won't always be the case. Um, it certainly wasn't the case when I started trying to do it, but uh, it is the case right now. I know for me, there are times where I do need that nine to five just for financial reasons. But when I'm in that situation, I tell myself, all right, I'm putting in eight hours for this nine to five for someone else. I better, once I clock out, once it's 501, I better be putting the same amount of time into my hustle, into my dreams, um, if not close to, to that same time, even if, I, even if I lose sleep. What do you think about that? Um, I, I do see it that way, and it's very important. And actually, not having a nine to five is what enables me to put things in their proper place, right? Because, because if you work the same amount of time outside of your nine to five on your hustle, you know, that could have detrimental effects to your health, which I have received firsthand and I have experienced firsthand, um, which, you know, is what began a lot of this, this new stuff that I'm on right now. Um, so, yeah, so I, I am, I'm not going to call myself lucky. I worked hard for this, but what I will say was that, um, I spent a lot of time planting seeds that may never have grown. But because they grew in the right place at the right time, I've enabled myself to uh, to do this. And uh, it's been and it's been to the positive. So, yeah, I think definitely have a set time. You work on your hustle. Definitely clock out. Definitely go experience life. Definitely do the other things that requires your attention. You know, how did you was there a transition from from you back in 2004 where you transitioned from having a nine to five into really just focusing a hundred percent on, on your shit. Was it a transition or was it like, I'm gonna jump in? Well, okay. So yeah. So funny. So, so 2004, I was performing full time in San Diego and uh, we had just moved there, my wife and, uh, and my young son and I was performing live, but in order to supplement that I was working retail. So I was doing both of those things. By the time it got to Oh six, I went to acting conservatory, which means I was getting paid to go to school and I was getting loans and all that stuff. And we were staying in an apartment and then I was doing partial music, which uh, at that point I fell back to making beats, producing. I was still putting out albums, but I was predominantly selling beats. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so there was that. Um, I tried uh, making my own clothes for a while. I tried, tried doing that. Um, You know, I tried, uh, I was a game tester. Immediately after I uh, I was a game QA, 
for Sony Entertainment. Oh, that's pretty as dope. As, <laughs> yeah. So my last retail job actually got me into that job. And for that point, I've been doing like pro jobs, you know, mm-hmm. um, from that point on. Yeah, I was game testing um, Sony games. I did NBA 06, MLB 06, the show. Okay. Okay. Um, I did like SOCOM, Navy SEALs, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I moved into that. I thought that might be the move for a professional job. Um, it wasn't. So, so actually, as soon as I got out of acting conservatory, um, my dad got sick. He retired in Arizona. So we moved to Arizona to take care of him for two years. I started a hip hop group while I was out there called Real Talk. You may not have heard that album, but you should. I have not. I actually have. And, I'm, uh, I'm writing that shit down right now. Yeah. Real, Real <laughs> Talk was another project that, that I came up with with a boy of mine. His name is uh, John Campos and he goes by the name Truth. Uh-huh. You'll you'll like his style a lot. Uh, actually, if you've heard just to say I did it, that album, he's on a song on uh on that album. Which it's song? a song called it's a song called These Times. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I heard it. He's the first, yeah, he's the first verse on that song. Okay, okay. So so yeah, that's my brother. Um, you know, we'll always have that rap duo, but I had to leave and go back to Cali because there was just no jobs for me in Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was I was gonna lose my shirt if I stayed there. So, uh, yeah, so moved back in 2010 and then 2010 was, uh, 2010 was when I started teaching officially. I started at the migrant ed programs in, in, uh, with Teatro Campesino in Salinas and in Monterey, the, um, the migrant education for the children of migrant workers. I I started there and then, uh, I worked in Gilroy for a while doing after school programs. And then that's when I went to the school of arts and culture, did hip hop theater and then, you know, that's what got us here. A lot, a lot of bouncing so, around, a lot of trying yeah. different things, a lot of, uh, and also I think picking up skills, right? It sounds like maybe you got something from, from each place that, I mean, you mentioned, oh, yeah. you mentioned yeah. gaming, bro. You, I didn't know you work for Sony and now you're popping on Twitch, bro. You got a Twitch channel. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother podcast too, that we gon' we gonna have. Exactly. We can talk about that, but yeah, I'm a huge gamer. I have been since like, you know the uh the mid 80s um my my first console was the atari 5200 bro shout out bah, 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 atari oh. where our free oh. merch at shit. <laughs> uh, bro i'd rock that all day long <laughs> if i had free atari merch i'd, I'd rock that shit hey, every day real talk though it, there i don't see a coincidence i think i'm a person that think, believes that everything happens for a reason right so we work for sony mm-hmm. for a few months we we work at a, you know, at a school for another few months. We pick up those things and somehow they seep into our art or they become a part of us or we, it becomes a tool that, yeah, that we continue to utilize it. Yeah. You, you just got to stay open and utilize the tools for the, for the mission, right? Yep. Like it's, it's easy to get distracted and veer off the path, but I always knew I was going to be an entertainer. I always knew I was going to be a performer. So I've spent my life obtaining supplements to that. You know, everything I feel like I've done has been in service to that. So if I'm not doing that at the end, then I'm doing it wrong. That's great, you man. Um, I would really love uh, at this point if, um, and we talked about this before too, because uh, I wanted to make sure that you were cool with it, uh, mm-hmm. of, of sharing something with us, performing something. Um, it could be from anything that that you've that you got okay. on from your albums. It could be from Milk Crate. It could be from anything. But I'd love, I'd love if you could. Uh, you could perform something for us. So, so, so for you, I will do, uh, I hope I don't fuck it up. Um, 
<laughs> so so I will do the the intro from Borrow Time, which is a track called Speak on It. Cool. Okay. That's because yeah, that's my favorite that opening album. statement to Let's me. Let's go. Yeah, that, that statement to me kind of encapsulates this whole thing, right? So mm. So um, so let me start by simply saying those naysayers and evaders made my victories the greatest. Without them, I couldn't make it. And not because I listen to the frequency they talking from. It's because they making up the steps that I be walking on. And the surface my new kicks will be stomping on. To reach that pedestal, eventually they'll put me on. Because better to be stepped on by a future star and have your name in history as fuel that set the rocket off. Into the next best dimension, where people hold a good rapper's name worth a mention. And truth be the teacher when the score is finally reckoned. And whack cats rocking dunce caps get detention, suspension. For all their cowardly and fake deeds. Yeah, and all the children that they mislead. And for all the rappers who ain't MCs and never had to rock in coffee shops, sweat, tear, and bleed. Because if it's in my mind, I'm finna speak on it. If it's in my headphones, I'm finna beast on it. You keep it out my grasp, I'm finna reach on it. You think you got the game locked? I put the keys on it. Oh, and one thing about me, they talk a lot of junk, but they'll never say they doubt me. Because in this heart and mind lies the thing they can't define. I'm determined and I'm quick, always switching up my strategy. I'm not going to lose because it's you that's overconfident. The evil rich guy is usually where the problem is. Call me a hater, brother. You the one that started this. Call me square for being smart. You know that's my, you know that's a compliment. That's my Obama shit. <laughs> my no drama shit. My got a page and give a damn if you ain't honest shit. My Abe honest shit. You got a problem, seal 16 your ass up in your crib like Bin Laden shit. I got you nodding shit, like heading to the hands. I got you copping this, a money cash advance. I got that proper spit and got that knowledge, kid. I'll leave the stage and let that next rapper polish it. Yeah, I messed up a little bit. <laughs> no, you, you, you did it. You get it. No, you, you did it. it. That was hot. I was fired. That was some real shit. Man, that was some real shit. That with the with the explanation of what Villa Cypher means is just the if if people hear those two things, I don't know what else they need to know what hip hop is. Cause that is hip hop. Where's Sway at? Where how do we get you on Sway? Bro, I don't I don't want that kind of pressure. <laughs> like like if I if I if I was if I was see here see, here's what would happen. What would happen is I'd go on sway and I'd kill that shit, but in the process of doing five fingers of death, I would like diss a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the and, whole and point, they, bro. They, that's the whole point. All, and they would all fucking hit me up and be like, fuck you, this, that, the other, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You, this, this motherfucker think he raw, blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm just not in that mode anymore. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. when I was, when I was 18, 19, 20, the, the scrappy battle MC type cat that I was, I would have enjoyed that. I would have embraced that. But now like I'm, I'm trying to etch out my, my space in the universe and that's too, that, that's much larger. But if you get me on freestyle shit, I will t start talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> hey, we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have to have a separate a separate entity for for this podcast where we do like a cipher or freestyle fucking section or something, bro. Because we <laughs> we need you on it. I need to see some Phila Cipher attack. I need to see you in attack mode. I mean, that's all Phila Cipher does. I do <laughs> what I'm saying. All, all, all he does is attack. That's, that's, <laughs> you, you know what? You know what's funny is that uh, is that my nickname in uh, in acting school in conservatory was anger attack 
because because like like yeah because because when I did characters I would always like in my first year of conservatory I would always choose these characters that were just outlandish and just like just ripping everybody another asshole <laughs> and I did it so well that that was my nickname they're they're like they're Ron Johnson also known as Anger a- a- Attack <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect what a perfect nickname. If it wasn't Phil so, Cipher, it would have been it would have been that AA. <laughs> yeah, AA exactly. Anger attack. Oh, maybe, shit, maybe, I'll, man. maybe I'll do a song like that there on you the go. last album. There I'll you do, go. I'll do anger attack. Phil Cipher's farewell. I'm I'm looking forward to that retirement album. I'm also looking forward to what you're bringing with Ellsworth because I know that's just an evolution of who you are as a person as an artist as well. Like you mentioned earlier, it's gonna be it's gonna be encompassing all sorts of things. It's going to be you singing and uh, producing a lot and just mixing in all your talents with all, all the artistic talents and skills that, that you do have. So I'm excited. I'm excited for Ellsworth, man. Um, and, I, see, too, man. and see where me you too. take it, us. It's, it's going to be mad liberating. And I mean, shit, you're going to be on that album. So you ain't going to hey, have to go far. A lot of people don't know you're, this, you're but, uh, but uh, I go by Kid Tenacious, and uh, I've, been, I've been writing my, my own stuff, and uh, production is going to come soon, and I'm looking forward to jumping on some with you, man. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, first off, we're finishing Nothing Is Everything. That's, yes, that's, yes. We're going we're gonna to do that, and then um, I got another one with Eloquent that I'm going to put on that album, too. I'm also... I'm uh, re- going to reach out to Eloquent, because I definitely want him on the show, too. I want to pick his oh, brain please. and... and uh, and also our boy uh, Adrian, I want to sh- shout out and give some uh, give some a little a little trailer love to to these upcoming oh, yeah. guests. I, and, I, and, I'm working, and I'm working with Adrian on his one man show, which is going to be amazing. I hope he talks to you about that yeah. when you have him on here. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm um, looking he's doing forward. some good stuff. Um, all great things, man. I mean, collaboration, in my opinion, is so powerful, especially in these times with COVID and and whatnot. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you before before we get out of here and continue on our hustle, because you know hustling don't stop. You oh know yeah, it I, got, don't. I got like eight things to do right <laughs> after this. So before before we bounce out, man, um, collaboration. What do you what do you suggest people do it in this time of COVID where we can't? I mean, it's so powerful being within a group of people, especially when you're physically with each other in a room, in a theater, in a studio. I mean shit just profoundly happens when we're all together and we can't do that right now. So how do we collaborate? How have you been collaborating? How do we get it done? Um, well, digital collaboration is something I've been doing for a while. And, and mostly because the artists that want to work with me are usually not in the place that I'm at. Right. So, so I've been doing that for a long time, even when it wasn't necessary. Um, well, here's what I recommend. I'm going to recommend something <laughs> radical again. <laughs> And um, here's what I recommend. If you want to collaborate with somebody and you want to build something, the first thing that you need to do is make sure that you guys are equally in the right frame of mind to do it. And what I mean is that collaborate emotionally, collaborate intellectually before you collaborate creatively. Um, for, for example, we'll, we'll use you and I as an example. There are times, maybe two or three times during the week where you'll just hit me up and we'll just talk about the work and how it feels and what we want to accomplish from it and what we're doing and what we're not doing. We haven't even talked about doing anything together yet, but that's inevitable. We're inevitably going to do something. But the point is we're checking in with each other and we're 
we're remaining available and we're also giving ourselves emotional consent to uh, engage in the pre-production of creative collaboration. And, and that's right now in a space where we're, we're super isolated, that's super important. It's, it's super important to give each other emotional consent. You know, maybe I'm not ready to collaborate with you yet, but it's still a good idea. Maybe I have some things I got to get off my chest or I got to talk about something that's bothering me before we do that. Mm. You know, the, those, those things are really important right now. So um, everybody be aware of your mental health. And, and uh, because what it t- it, when you collaborate, it takes all of you. It, it takes all of you. It takes all of the other person. And the finished result is only going to be half of you and half of them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, n- none of your, n- not all of your ideas are going to get used. Not all of their ideas are going to get used, but you're going to have to fully invest in it anyway. Yeah. And, and that's hard. That's hard to understand for some people sometimes. Yeah. That's great, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to collaborating with you. Um, of course. And we own it. One last question. And mm-hmm. I ask, I ask every guest this. Um, we we've done so so far we've done two plays we've done a short film and we're about to do music yes I'm keeping yes that. we're we're checking <laughs> we're checking all the creative boxes <laughs> oh and the podcast we have to count yeah, that yeah man yeah um, very appreciative um, and then one last question that that you know I ask every guest on this podcast um, in one word what is art to you truth. Truth. That's it. Hell yeah. Yeah. If if it doesn't if if you if you have a, a galaxy of art and it doesn't tilt towards the truth, it's not a galaxy I want to be in. <laughs> you know, like it has to it, it it can go, it can ebb and flow. We can have peaks and valleys, but we gotta get back to the truth when it's all said and done. Fucking love it, man. I fucking love it. Anything you want to plug before we bounce on out of here and get that hustle? I mean, feel a social on Instagram, um, twitch.tv slash Ellsworth J. Um, feel a cipher on SoundCloud, feel a cipher on um, Spotify, feel a cipher on Apple Music. Um, you can also go to my Bandcamp and buy music from me directly. That money goes directly to me. Um, you know, I... I mean, check me out on IMDb if you're curious about the films and TV and stuff that I do. Um, I do that. Milk Cray will be out soon. That'll be in all major retailers. That'll be ebook and and uh, and paperback. I'll probably do a hardback after I sell a hundred copies or something like that. I'll do like a special version. Um, the play will come out too. The cast album will come out on Spotify and the music spot. Thank you guys for your support. Can't do it without y'all. Thank you, bro, for being here. And like I said, we're going to have you back because we got a lot more shit to talk about, like acting. Like, bro, you were just in a movie that you got royalties for. Um, and I'm, I haven't checked it out yet, but I think you might, you might be on the disc. You might be on the disc, uh-huh. bro. I may be. I'm, I'm getting paid and they left me out. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see. A lot of people a don't know. story behind that. A lot of people don't know what we're talking about, but it's a major, major blockbuster film that you were involved with. And uh, stay tuned because that episode is coming up. You like how I did that? You like, you, you like how I, I get I people do. to come back? I do. 
Get people <laughs> to come back. Let's come do back, it. y'all. We're gonna have Ron again. He's a well of wisdom. Thank you so much again, bro. And uh can't wait for the next one. Of course, bro. Deuces, everyone. Peace out. Yep. <laughs>